Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. All right, we're continuing with the tent, the series on the tabernacle, this, uh, this place where the Lord dwelt among the people as they were traveling through the wilderness from slavery in Egypt all the way to what is called the promised land. So these past few weeks, we've been looking at the different elements, the different furnishings inside this place that's called the holy place. We had an outer court that was, you know, the sun would be able to shine on it. It was outdoors. And then you would go into this first room called the holy place. And then uh, the most holy place is right past that through another curtain. So in this holy place, there are three different elements. We talked two weeks ago, Pastor Adam talked about the table of showbread, how the Lord wanted, wants to have fellowship with us, and how Jesus is the true bread of life. Last week, we talked about the golden lampstand and how these lamps represented the sevenfold expression of the Spirit of God and how the Holy Spirit illuminates our soul when we are born again, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, but how also Jesus is the true light of the world. He's the bread of life and he's the light of the world. Something interesting happens when he's on the earth. He talks about us and he says that we are the light of the world and how we're supposed to shine for Jesus. Uh, This week, we're going to explore the altar of incense. This is the third item in the holy place. We have just a few more weeks that this is all leading up to Easter. In fact, I want to encourage you too, like a lot of times leading up to Easter, we would preach about Jesus's life and ministry. And then, you know, just right right before Easter from Palm Sunday, that last week, the Holy Week, we would call it. And I want to just encourage you, the tabernacle is all about Jesus. So it is preparing us for Easter. It's just a completely different way than we usually had. So when you're thinking, okay, Easter's coming, Resurrection Sunday is coming, I want you to prepare your minds, turn your heart toward that celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to know every single week that we've talked about these different things in the tabernacle, it's all pointing to Jesus and what he did on that cross. So this week we'll look at the altar of incense and how the incense filled uh, that holy place. I started thinking about when I was single uh, in college and then a little bit uh, after college. I lived in different apartments, you know, with roommates when I was in college and then I lived by myself out here in Cannonsburg. And I was not, um, I'm not the, the, I'm not, I shouldn't say I'm not the best at cooking. I'm horrible at cooking. Like I will burn things in the toaster if you let me add it too, too much. But I'm just not, not good at cooking. So there were several times where I would try cooking things, whether it's in the oven or, you know, on a pan, where the smoke would just, like, fill the room, fill the kitchen, go out into the family room. And the fragrance that was released in that burning of food was not something that you would want to be filled there. So I found a solution. For those of you who are my age or older, you would know something called the George Foreman Grill. Raise your hand if you know that. Some of you younger folks probably don't. George Foreman Grill was like a can't-go-wrong, plug-it-in-the-wall. It's like this slanted thing, all the grease falls out into this tray. It was just a pretty safe way for me to do it. So I did not want this fragrance of burnt food and this smoke to fill the room, but this is exactly what God intended in the altar of incense. Not just the smoke that would be rising, 
But he intended for this holy place, this area called the tabernacle, to actually be filled with the aroma from the incense. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a few minutes. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30, I'm going to read the first few verses there when the Lord's giving commandments or commands to Moses on how to do it. I'm going to actually have the picture of the altar of incense up there instead of the verses. So for those of you who are visual learners, you can just take a look at this as I'm describing how it's supposed to look. This is Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It says, make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide and two cubits high. It's horns of one piece with it. Remember several weeks back, we talked about the word cubit. A cubit is about from your elbow to the tip of your finger. It's about 18 inches. So this was 18 inches wide by 18 inches long by 36 inches high. Verse 3 says, overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Another word for that gold molding would be a golden crown. So it was another representation of the majesty and the authority of God. Now this wooden box basically was covered, overlaid with pure gold. Last week we talked about the lampstand that was made completely from one piece, hammered out from one piece of pure gold, approximately 75 pounds of gold. We don't know what the weight of this is because it doesn't tell in scripture, so we don't want to uh, assume anything. In verse 4 it says, make two gold rings from the altar below the molding, or for the altar below the molding. Two on each of the opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, if you follow out many of the furnishings in the tabernacle, you'll see that there's these rings hanging from the corners and there were poles that were made out of wood and then overlaid with gold. The purpose of that is, uh, let's just go back a little bit. When the priests and the elements of the tabernacle were consecrated for the service of the Lord. That's when this cloud descended upon the Holy of Holies. And scripture tells us that the cloud would rest upon it in the day, and there would be fire in the middle of that cloud at night, representing the presence of the Lord being there. The people were instructed to stay as long as the cloud stayed. Now, when the cloud would lift, they would know it's time to move. So they would actually have to pack all of this stuff up. And this is how a lot of these elements were carried, is these poles would be put through uh, these hoops or these rings, and the priests would then carry them. So what the Lord is showing us is this, is he taught them how to make a mobile worship unit that anytime the Lord wanted to move, they were to put these rods in and they were to carry it as far in any direction as the Lord moved. The same is still true today. We are the mobile worshiping unit. We have the spirit of God in us. So we're supposed to stay put as long as the Lord tells us to. And if the Lord's saying, my cloud is ascending now and I'm leading you into this new direction, then you're supposed to go. I'll go back to Pastor Francisco and Leticia. Uh, Pastor Francisco is apostolic in his heart, meaning he wants to start new things all the time. So when he would come back from a missions trip in Mexico or El Salvador, say, I don't know, Pastor Kurt, maybe I should be a missionary full-time there. Maybe I should start churches here. Maybe I should start. So 
time and time again. That's it. I'll pray with you, Pastor Francisco. Whatever the Lord wants to do in your life, I'll be there to support you and you know, champion that effort. But he stayed put until he really sensed the Lord is now moving us. It's time. There was a peace. There was an excitement about it. Even like we talked about with the open briars, maybe, maybe even as I was saying that, the Lord's stirring your spirit. And you're like, I never thought I would have left Central. But since, since you know, Kurt said that, maybe that's me. Maybe I should go and support them. That's what we want to do. We want to be mobile worshiping units. So wherever we go, we can still host the presence of God. But we got to be sensitive to where the Lord is leading us. Amen? All right. Verse 6. The Lord's telling them, put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law, where I will meet you. Let's not get confused about this. There's an outer court. Then when you go into the tent called the tabernacle, there's a holy place, okay? So they open a curtain to get into the holy place where the table of showbread, the lamps, and then the incense are. The, The altar of incense is placed right in front of the curtain that is separating the holy and the most holy place. The very presence of the Lord is what dwelt among the mercy seat that was in the most holy place. I love the significance of why it's placed right there because the altar of incense symbolizes the prayer and the praise of God's people rising to the Lord. So what better place to put it? Not out in the courtyard, not along one of the walls, but right in front of the curtain where the presence of God was right behind that, where he would be pleased with the prayers and the praise of his people. Now we know, we we get the end of the, we've read the whole book, so we see the end of the story. We know that Jesus ultimately was the first incense to the Lord. The thing that, the, the real incense, I should say, who rose to the Lord by his life being offered as a sacrifice. And then our response to what Jesus has done, that's where our prayer, that's where our praise rises to the Lord. So picture this, that smoke that was being uh, burnt, or the, the incense that was being burnt, that smoke would continuously rise over and over again. And that smell, that sweet fragrance that would fill that entire Room In Psalm 29.2, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So you're saying, give to the Lord all of the glory that is due because of who he is. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. There's like a lot of rich words in that. What it's saying, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So recognize everything that we can recognize on this side of eternity of who God is, and worship him in a response to that. In Psalm 141, it says, May my prayer be set before the Lord like incense, right? The psalmists here, many of them being David, they understood exactly what happened in the tabernacle and in the temple. So they're saying, May my prayers be rising up to you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Both of these things are pointing to what happened in the tabernacle, right? So when we see this now and we're like, why do those Pentecostals all pray at the same time? Like, that's confusing. It's loud. I just want one person to uh, to pray. 
first time I came into what I would consider like a charismatic church and people were raising their hands, I was like, uh-uh. I came from a church, we, you know, we would clap and everything, but you control that clap. Don't you dare start doing all that. So you're like, why do they, why do, they do that? Well, that's weird. That's uncomfortable. No, this is biblical. This psalmist is tying his actions back to what happened in the tabernacle. May my prayers rise up to you like that incense rose. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice that the priest did on the altar of the burnt offering. So picture your prayers and your worship rising up like the smoke off of that altar of incense would have risen. In verse seven, it says, this is now how this is supposed to play out. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends to the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. This was not like those you know, little incense sticks you may have had in college and you stick on, it's done in 20 minutes. I mean, this is on and on, constant incense rising to the Lord. In verse nine, it says, do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering. Do not pour a drink offering on it. So you might be confused like, okay, I'm getting lost in all these things. Just, just settle in this. They were not permitted to do anything but to offer the pure incense recipe that he gave them in Leviticus. Only that alone and nothing else. Then he says, once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for generations to come. It's most holy to the Lord. Let's just take a look at verse 10. One time a year, they would make this, uh, the high priest would make atonement for the sin of all the people, not the individual, the entire people of Israel. He would use blood from that sacrifice to uh, to, um, I'm saying the word smear, splatter, to put blood on these horns and all the pieces of the tabernacle. What it's doing, it's saying this. Remember, the horn means strength. If you remember from a few weeks ago, if you've been here, that horn means strength. The Lord is the, the horn of our salvation or the strength of our salvation. And every time that this, these pieces had blood applied to them, it was pointing it back to the sacrifice, what do we know? That blood is pointing forward to the blood of Jesus. Every single item in the tabernacle had blood applied to it once a year. It kept the furnishings in the tent attached to the blood. And we know that blood that was shed on the cross now paid for our sins once and for all. Every time we see that blood, every time you see a picture, you read about it, think that is a foreshadow of the blood of Jesus. So there was one purpose for this altar, and it was to burn incense unto the Lord. No other offering, no other purpose, no other type of incense could be burnt. Now, this is a cool thing. What would happen is, is the priests would take uh, these uh, these incense burners, I guess we would call them. It's like a, cen a censure. And they would take some of the coals out of the altar of burnt offering in the outer court. And they would take these burnt coals, and they would go into the holy place, and they would put the coals on the altar of incense, and they would pour this incense recipe, this formula, 
over it. And that's what would give the fire to the incense that's burning. Now, if you look at the correlation, the altar of the burnt offering represented the atonement for our sins. It was that animal dying in our place. It was that animal receiving the punishment that we deserve, though it was temporary back then, it's fulfilled in the blood of Jesus. So one altar, the burnt offering, was for atonement. The other altar, the altar of incense, was for giving prayer and praise to the Lord in response to what had been atoned for. So there's a connection there. The fire from the atonement of our sin was now giving life, giving the ability for this incense to actually burn up to the Lord. So all this is, it's our prayer, our praise, our worship to the Lord in response to what Jesus has already atoned for. Amen? Amen. So we look at Jesus. Jesus was the first incense that ever rose to the Lord outside of the smoke from the tabernacle. And in Ephesians 5, 2, it says this. Live a life, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, live a life filled with love, following the examples of Christ. So now he's gonna give a sentence here about what Christ did. He says, he loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, when they're thinking about this aroma being risen to God and coming up to God, they're not thinking of like all the candles in their house. They're thinking about how the Jewish people used to operate in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple. And he's saying here, Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice was a pleasing aroma rising up to the Lord in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And now if we look at 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Think about that now. We are now to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. How does that work? How is Christ the sweet aroma rising to the Lord, but now we are to God this fragrance, this sweet aroma, this incense that's rising. Well, Scripture talks about in many locations that the moment you surrender your life to Christ, one, uh, one instance it says you are now hidden in Christ. Another says you're united in Christ. Another one says you are one with Christ. Another Scripture says that you're now brother, like Christ is your elder brother, and God the Father is now your father. So there's all these scriptures talking about how we, us, and Christ have become one. In fact, scripture also talks, Jesus is the head, we corporately are the body of Christ. So theologically, scripturally, what happens is this, we become an important ingredient in the recipe that God has made for the divine incense that rises to him. It's Christ and the people of God. Together, we are the recipe that create the incense that rises to the Lord. It's our prayer, it's our worship that is in response to Jesus that is pleasing to God. Now, I don't think when I burnt this food as a young adult, I don't think I ever like smiled and I was like, this is awesome. I love all the smoke and the fire alarm going off, and I love the smell. Like, I don't think I was doing that. In fact, my roommates were probably making fun of me, and I was opening up windows. 
However, anytime it talks about incense or an aroma or a fragrance rising to the Lord, it, it, it will refer to the Lord being pleased with it. It was a pleasing aroma. It was a sweet incense that God is pleased with this. So God is pleased when you offer him pure worship. And he's pleased when you come to him in a time of need or in a time of, of praise when you're praying to him. It gives him pleasure for your heart to rise up to him. So I want you to picture this. I, don't, I want you to picture this altar of incense and this smoke rising. So the next time you just say, God, I love you. Or God, even I need your help and I trust that you're gonna be there to help me. Or, God, you're my king. You're my creator, whatever it is. I want you to picture that smoke rising up to him, but I also want you to picture him smiling back down at you. I want you to imagine, he's given us our imagination for a reason, right? I want you to be able to imagine his pleasure in you taking time to acknowledge him. He doesn't demand it from us. We have a choice in life to do it. So I want you just to, to look upon him as he looks upon you with that pleasure, with that satisfaction. Amen? All right, so let's take a look at what this tabernacle ingredients were, and then we'll again tie it back into today. In Exodus 30, starting at verse 34, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, onica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts. So you take these, these uh, different elements, these different spices, and they mix them together. It says, I make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. So you grind some of it to powder and place it in the front of the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. So this was not just a mixture of fragrances. This is something that was holy to them. Verse 37 says, do not make any incense with this formula for yourself. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must actually be cut off from their people. So this recipe was like serious business to the Lord. And I think he's trying to tell us this. There is one specific thing that you can only offer to the Lord and no one else, and it's worship. So think about it. There's a love and affection that you can offer to the Lord that you can't really even offer to your family members. There's an attention that you can give to the Lord that you can't really even give it like the most important meeting or the most important information. There's a commitment that you can only offer to the Lord that you wouldn't ever even be able to offer to like, you know, your country or to something that you are fully uh, in, involved with. So he's saying there's this special thing, this part of your life that you are to offer to me and it is your worship. Not to offer it for anyone else and not to use it for your own pleasure or your own enjoyment. Now think about that too. Sometimes we'll pray to the Lord for answers, right? We need, we're, we're saying, God, this, you've promised this in your scripture. We're, we know that you're gonna come through in this area. And what you're doing there is you're not praying selfishly. You're praying, trusting that he is gonna fulfill his word. On the other end, you can pray selfishly and you can say, I'm not even sure if this is your will, but I want this for me, 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 me. That's what would happen if they would put this 
incense together for their own pleasure and take it home. And he's saying you must cut those people off. So what happened? Aaron's sons actually offered wrong incense and they died because of it. In Leviticus 10 verse 1, it says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and they sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire, I mean, picture this now, fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. And Aaron was silent. Scripture says that God is a jealous God, right? He is not jealous because of us or because of anyone else. He is jealous for us and for our hearts. So he wants our true worship. He wants to be in first place in our lives. And I do believe that when we worship him like that, it doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect in your life or you've, you've gotten everything you know, figured out. What it is is you're actually recognizing more of who he is in your life. So it's like, okay, I see something in God's word. Like, wow, I don't know that I've ever thought about God that way. You offer him worship, recognition, praise in that time. There are parts of scripture that talk about offering the Lord a high praise. I think about like, well, how's that different? Does that just mean you're singing louder in that time? But I believe that high praise is the most purest form of worship you could give the Lord because you're not concerned about anything else going on but the Lord at that time. He's your sole focus in those moments. So that can obviously happen when you're by yourself, but I'm talking corporately now when we're with a group of people. It might be this. Maybe you were from one of the churches that I was from, a good Bible-believing church, but this was as far as you went. You were never thinking about this. But let's say we're singing a song together corporately, and you're like actually thinking, I want to raise my hands to the Lord. Like, I want to honor him with, with my arms of surrender. And you start to think, well, what's, what's my son going to think? What's my spouse going to think? What's that person, you know, right behind me going to think? You haven't entered into high praise at that point. You are focused on them being your barometer and not solely him. I know it's happened to some of you out there when maybe you've been in your seat and you've like felt this tug. Not that God's presence is greater here than back there, but there is a step of faith that you take sometimes to meet with God that happens at this altar. People's lives are changed here. People have been born again here, filled with his spirit, healed physically and emotionally. So, so it's your faith that says, I'm taking a step forward to meet with God in a special way. I guarantee there are people in this room that have felt that nudge, like, I'm supposed to go forward, but I'm not going to go forward. There's nobody else forward. I don't want them thinking I'm some dirty, rotten sinner. I'm not going to be the only person. Maybe if five other people go, I'll just kind of sneak in with them, right? I won't ask for hands. But it happens. You feel that urge, but you're not going up there. If you enter into that moment of high praise, and you don't, I'm not saying high meaning you have to be screaming, it's just your heart is fully connected to him, the one, as if he was right before you and nobody else in the room. I guarantee you'll find yourself down here at the altar. You won't care if people think you're just worshiping or you're caught in sin. It doesn't matter anymore. He is the only one that matters in that moment. 
So what we've tried to do is we're trying to take these ancient principles, this blueprint. So we're looking at this altar of incense. How can we do this in modern day? Well, I've thought about an example in scripture. It was more modern than the days of the tabernacle. And it happened in John chapter 12. I won't read the verses. I'll just kind of summarize it, but you can put them on the screen if you'd like. In John chapter 12, it was six days before the Passover. Jesus comes into Bethany and he visits the house of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is the guy that he raised from the dead. So he's like saying, you know, he shows up, Lazarus is dead four days. The tradition of that day was that the person's soul, spirit, hovered over their body for three days. So if there was chance for resurrection, it was going to happen then. So it's the fourth day, they know it's impossible. So Jesus comes and does like a double miracle. Not only is he raising somebody from the dead, he's doing it past the point that tradition would tell you it could. So now Lazarus is like back from the dead, he's alive, and he's like living his life again. I mean, it's just, it would be so cool. It's like, hey, what's up, Lazarus? It's like, hi. He's like, oh my goodness, I raised you from the dead like a couple weeks ago. I don't know, I think this stuff is cool. So they're throwing a party for Jesus, Jesus is hanging out with Lazarus. Uh, Martha is caring for the people. And Mary, it says that Mary takes this, this bottle of pure nard and cracks it open and begins to pour it on Jesus' feet. And not only that, but she actually takes some of herself, her hair, and begins to wash Jesus' feet with it. And worship team, you guys can come up at this time. And when I think about this, this here is a perfect example of incense rising to the Lord. It says in one of those verses that the smell of that fragrance filled the house. Now I can, I can just picture it. There were people, don't separate the tabernacle and temple from the New Testament, guys. There are Jewish people in this house that still go to the temple there are Jewish people that know about the altar of incense. And when they, when they see this woman worshiping Jesus in this way and they smell that, though they are not priests and they wouldn't have been in that holy place, they know from scripture and they know from living right in that area that that incense filled that first room of the tabernacle. And when I think about Mary's worship, it was a worship that was unmeasured. She did not think, because in scripture it says that this was probably worth a year's worth of salary. And I don't think she was sitting there going, okay, that's one week. That's a couple months. I don't know. I have a lot of food to buy for my kids. We'll go six months, eight. She poured this out, an unmeasured moment of worship. She did not care that it would not have been appropriate at that time for a woman to do what she was doing. She didn't care what the onlookers were saying. She didn't care that Judas began to rebuke her and said, why didn't you sell that to, the, you know, to make money for the poor even though Judas was lying because he was evil and greedy? But what was Judas doing? Judas was measuring. He was saying, Jesus isn't worth what Mary is pouring out onto him. And Mary didn't care what anyone else thought. She sat at his feet and worship the way that she felt led. Many in that room thought it was inappropriate. But Jesus, 
He says here in verse seven, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This day of his burial was coming when he was gonna be crucified and buried. She's coming to worship him. And he's saying, listen, your worship of me has a double meaning. You're actually preparing my body with fragrance to prepare for my burial, which they did throughout the old, the, the, in these times. Now think about now all the way back from the garden, God creates Adam and walks with him in the cool of the day. He wanted intimacy and relationship. They break that through sin. God says, I'm gonna show up in a tent called the tabernacle because I wanna be with my people. And he has this incense rising up. Soon, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate through the Passover, through Good Friday, in this tabernacle, which would one day become the temple, this curtain tearing when Jesus dies on the cross. And now, us, average men and women like you and me, have access to the presence of God. And now, with Jesus, he was on the earth, he ascended. We now have the ability to allow our prayers and our worship ascend to him as that incense. And now if we even fast forward all the way to the end of time where there will be angels, Revelation says, and creatures and the elders and the people of God surrounding the throne of God, what is going to be happening? We are going to be worshiping. Now, some of you might say, I don't like to sing. I don't have a good singing voice. That, that, that this type of worship just really isn't for me. Okay, I don't know if we're going to be singing the entire time. All I know is this. When you come face to face with the Holy One named Jesus, you're not going to be able to say, I don't like singing. I don't have a good singing voice. I have a feeling that we're going to fall flat on our face and outside of us, or from inside, we're going to be pouring out praise and honor and glory unto the one who has the splendor of holiness. Now, I don't know if it's going to sound like our instruments. I don't know if it's going to sound like a shofar going off. Some people might like it if it was like a cool rap song. I don't know. I know that we will not be able to contain ourselves. So look, this is an example of what John saw in heaven. In Revelation 5, verse 11, it says, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions. Now grasp that. I would put a picture up if we could actually get one that would be close to this. Thousands and millions of angels, not like one, two, three, or a couple hundred, thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living being and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now you might think, well, that's like a lot of words. It's gonna start to confuse me. You get face to face with Jesus and I guarantee we'd have thousands more words than just this. He, worthy is that lamb who was slain, some of your translations say, to receive what? Power, riches, wisdom, 
strength, honor, and glory and blessing. He goes on to say, and then I heard every creature in heaven and earth. Now this is not just the angels. Now these are the creatures, right, including us. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. How many of you know that means every single creature? And it says here, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. I actually think that we will be, I don't even think, I know without a shadow of my heart, we will come into that moment when we see Jesus, his eyes like fire, being in the presence of God where there's no light needed, no shadow, and out of our mouth will bellow forth, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who is worthy to receive the blessing, the honor, the glory, the power forever and ever. So if we know that we're going to do that face to face with him, why would we not take time while we are on earth to do that? Why would we not take time to appreciate who he is? We specifically left time for the end of this service to do just that, to spend time worshiping him. And again, maybe you're not a loud singer, that's fine. Connect with those words, close yourself off, just you and the Father, and enter into a time of high praise where you don't care what else is going on around you. Why don't you stand at this time? Like I mentioned before, you're free to raise your hands, to come forward at the altar, to kneel at your seat, to dance before the Lord. We can close ourselves off with Him, the one who is worthy to receive our praise, and we can worship Him with our hearts today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.